You are listening to an exclusive on PodHub Network. Your city, your podcast. With the delight of this crowd, McClendon marches down the dugout steps with first base. McClendon's throw. The runner breaks to the plate. Here's the throw. Listening to the North Shore Nine podcast. Follow them on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Also, make sure to watch NS9 Live every Thursday on Twitch and help support by becoming a patron. Let's go, Bucks! Welcome to the North Shore Nine podcast. I am your host, Anthony DiNardo. Not with me, as always, is Ryan Alexander. Uh, I am by myself. We will have a guest in a little bit here, though, I will say. But yes, today is the basically the start of Ryan no longer being on the weekly podcast. So just a little insight, as I put out there on Twitter asking, you know, if you guys wanted to hear more guests or whatnot, um, you know, with the weekly podcast, we are looking to have more guests. You know, you'll hear Jim, myself, Tyler here and there, maybe together, you know, obviously so often. But uh, we are looking to try to get more guests on the show. Maybe a little different insight. You're probably tired of hearing myself, Jim, and Tyler talk every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night anyways. But before we get into that, I do want to start and talk about this sweep that the Buckos just had. I'll put it this way. I was prepared to just put out this podcast as it was, introduce the show, introduce the guest, and let this pre-recorded podcast play because I was not expecting the Buckos to sweep the Brewers, the big, bad Milwaukee Brewers. And on top of that, I was not expecting the Buckos to put up 24 runs on the Brewers. So let's talk about it a little bit here. It's not so depressing this weekend, guys. So the first game starts out. The Bucks win 7-2, right? The worst hand in poker. The Bucks win 7-2 against the Brewers. All right, all right. I mean, they're due to win. They had four on the year. Chalk it up. You had some success. That was fun. But it didn't stop there. Game two against the Brewers, the Pirates put up 12 runs. And then, of course, today, they finish out the series against the Brew Crew with a Polanco home run, a two-run home run in the, what, the eighth inning? Yeah, the, the bottom of the eighth inning. And uh, they win five to four. Your Pittsburgh Pirates. As uh, we put out there before the series even started, with a terrible offense, the worst in the league, a huge gap from, from them to second worst in the league. And as Jim pointed out on his account, the Pirates' weighted run created plus so far this season was worse than the Oakland A's rotation. I'm sorry, not even the rotation. Well, obviously, probably mainly the rotation. But they were worse than the A's pitchers last year. This 2020 Pirates offense was worse than the Oakland A's pitching staff offensively last year. And then they come out and they score 24 runs. How about them buckos sweeping the Brewers? So, you know, the key to the success was getting to the starting pitching. You know, the, the Pirates have not been a good offensive team as it is, obviously. We've, we've pointed that out plenty of times. But it seems like the only offense they do get is very late in the games. Now, mind you, it might be with, you know, mop-up duty on the other relievers, but they've been in tight games as well and have scored. 
So I'm not going to credit to all just mop-up duty, but it has just seen that the Pirates have only scored late in the game. And the, the Brewers have a very, very competitive, a very good bullpen. As I pointed out this week, the Pirates and Brewers have been pretty much on par offensively and the rotation. What I mean by that is they've been bad, but what separate the Brewers have had a very strong bullpen. Well, the Pirates did that. They came out early almost every game offensively. But what was kind of nice to see, too, is when that bullpen came in. Now, mind you, the second game got out of hand very quickly. But the first game and, obviously, the second game, the Brewers utilized their bullpen, right, their strength, and the Pirates were still scoring runs. Gregory Polanco busts out. Looks like Brian Reynolds is busting out. Newman, Newman was doing his thing. I think he was on a nine-game hit streak. Uh, you know, well, ended up with, you know, obviously not all nine-game hit streak, you know, was in the series. But, you know, he was coming along, but he continued it until he got injured today. Uh, you know, Moran, obviously. And even, even Frazier is getting in the, uh, the mix here a little bit. So it's nice to see this offense starting to click. Maybe for Polanco, the timing is there. I've, I've been down on Polanco, obviously. Like, his numbers you don't want to see. He came into this series with a four-weighted run created plus. 96% below average, guys. I mean, that is pathetic. It's very pathetic. He was striking out, I think at the time, like 46%. Just very bad. But what got to me, now obviously the strikeouts is very worrisome, but it's like, you know, his luck himself, right? He, he was himself performing terrible in the strikeouts. But then you add on top of that, his baby was like at a .05. I mean, he was just getting, every time he put the ball in play, he was getting unlucky on top of that. So the strikeouts, you know, again, being worrisome, you think maybe there's a bit of a timing. He's been away from baseball for quite some time as well, you know, through the different injuries he's had, and obviously the big layoff of baseball this year to begin with. So maybe the timing's starting to get down. I mean, when he does hit the ball, he hits it hard. He was number one exit velocity most of the season. But obviously he's got like three hits, <laughs> four hits into this series. So there wasn't many opportunity for him, you know. The, the, the big time exit velocity was on like what, 10, 10 batting events, maybe, if that be the case. So, you know, it wasn't like a lot of large sample, but you know, when he does get a hold of the ball, he hits it pretty hard. Well, now things are falling into place. He's getting some doubles. He's adding on to his home run total. So now he's starting to make contact. He's looking better up there. He's he's looking more confident. And Helly. He's still in bases again. Now, listen, this is three games. Small sample. Let's take it one step at a time. I'm not going to deem Polanco's back. Even though on the inside, I'm a little giddy right now, and I want to. Because also, let's say Polanco's back. Also, what is back for Polanco? I mean, he's been a mixed bag ever since he came up to the league. I want to say back is that 2018 version of Blanco for a good portion of the year, not the full year, but a good portion of it. But, you know, out of six years playing, which still, still just boggles my mind when Jim pointed that out the other night too, that, that like he's been in the league for six years now. 2014, he got the call up. It's amazing how long he's been up here. And we keep talking about the breakout for Gregory Polanco, but I digress. So multiple hit games, as I mentioned, he came into the series with a four weighted runs created plus, right? 96% worse than league average. 
He comes out of these three games now at a 75% or 75 way to run career plus. 25% worse than average. Okay, I get it. He's still bad. Like I've joked, he went from terrible to bad to now just not good. But that's a huge improvement in just three games. I mean, to go from four to 75 in three games, you got to give him some credit. Like, as terrible as this team has been, especially offensively, at least there's something to grasp on. You know, on this North Shore 9 live Thursday night, like our biggest complaint was we know this team was going to be bad. But there's nothing on this team that's also giving us any type of excitement. You know, and the ones that, the reasons that were seen to get either getting injured, you know, or underperforming as well, like there's nothing coming out to give you excitement. Maybe Colin Moran is about it. So now at least we see Reynolds heating up. You know, you see Newman heating up. Maybe Polanco's turning it around. Now you're starting to get some reasons to watch these games again. There's some, you know, the games, the games within the games, if you may. There's adding some excitement. So, uh, so yes, about Polanco, it's nice to see him turn around. Um, one thing I also want to talk about, I'll just put it out there. You know, every Sundays I like to put out some stats. Uh, I started doing that last year, doing it again this year. So we all have talked about Eric Gonzalez, how he's different. He's a different player, right? But, you know, is, is this legit? And I wanted to put out there, there's, there's definitely some worrisome. So when you look at Eric Gonzalez's games through August 9th, which is funny, this actually comes out to exactly 108 pitches on both sides. But when the season started, when Eric Gonzalez was tearing things up, right? Through August 9th, he had a 125 way to run credit plus. So again, 25% better than league average, which for Eric Gonzalez is not what you were expecting. Now, of that time frame, I understand it's a small sample, but there was something that was worrying me because I tweeted this out on August 15th. But in that time frame, when he's 25% better than average, he was striking out just 11% of the time. He was killing the ball, as we mentioned, right? Everything that was inside the strike zone, making great contact with. But he was seeing 62% fastball 33% breaking ball. The one thing I pointed out, and I said, if we're going to nitpick on August 15th when I said this, if we're going to nitpick, seemed like Sonny Gray exposed it, but he's not, he's chasing, he's chasing more than average, but he's not making any connection. It just seems like he cannot, he's swinging low and outside, and he's not connecting. And like I said, Sonny Gray seemed like he exposed him. Well, what's funny since that time frame, and a little bit beforehand. So as of August 13th to current, which again, it's exactly 108 pitches. He has a 29 way to run created plus. 71% below league average. Beforehand, he was striking 11% of the time. In that time span, he's striking out 34.6% of the time. What has changed? Maybe I'm not the only one who saw this. <laughs> Maybe pitchers are adapting. There are some analytics out there. There's some scouts. They're way better than I am. If I can catch this, other people surely can. So when he was seeing 60% fastballs, he's now only seeing 46% of the time. The breaking balls are up 43%, and the off-speed pitches 11%. So they're not giving him fastballs anymore. 
And if you've noticed, it's a lot of low and away, a lot of low and away, low and outside. He's still swinging. He's still missing. Strikeouts are up. So, yes, it's nice seeing the Eric Gonzalez breakout party. Yes, the StatCast numbers maybe want to look into this. This is more than just fluky, empty batting averages. But there's definitely concern here because he can't hit low and away. And if pitchers are going to keep throwing him that, this might be the same Eric Gonzalez you see. Except the difference is when a pitcher does miss and goes into the zone and Eric Gonzalez connects like he did today, he'll hit it pretty hard to get on base. So maybe this is a very low batting average player who can't hit the breaking ball. But when he connects, good things happen. So like I said, maybe this ends up being Gregory Polanco light, which that's worrisome in itself. (laughs) Uh, The other thing I want to bring up, oh man, Josh Bell. Notice how I didn't mention him talking about all the players in this series. Josh Bell still looks lost out there. We see him up to the plate now. I mean, Twinkle Toes, we joke about. He's he's twitching now. I don't know what he's doing at the plate. Just moving non- Stop. I mean, I would love to say this day off could be good for him, but let's also face it. The Pirates didn't play the Cardinals series. There was three days off. The Pirates didn't play most of the Red series. There was some other days off. Like he's had time away to work on things, which equated to him dancing in the, in the batter's box. So I don't know if like this day off is, means, okay, well, let him get right and he'll come back strong because he's had that opportunity. But what's worrying me about him People pointed out, it's very evident. I mean, he's swinging a lot more than normal. But what's really worrisome is the pitches that are in the zone. He's missing. For his career, inside the strike zone, he makes contact 81% of the time. This year, it's only 72. Even pitches in the zone, fastballs in the zone, he is missing. For his career, his strikeout rate is 24%. And it, he's, oh, I'm sorry, his whiff rate, yeah, 24%. He's whiffing now 38% of the time. So I understand he's chasing more pitches. And yes, that is true. But even in the zone, he's not connecting. And that's what's worrisome about Josh Bell. It's one thing if you're getting antsy and you're trying to make things happen. But when pitchers are throwing to you right down the middle and you still can't hit it, I, I don't know. I don't know. Now, the fort made a pretty good example out there. He put some videos side by side of what he's doing. Stance does look off. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, when you're throwing right down the middle and you're still not hitting, it's, it's not just you're not getting good pitches. I mean, he just is totally lost right now. The next thing is Colin Moran. So let's end this with a positive note. Colin Moran is just absolutely slugging and killing the ball. I mean, what he is doing right now is a very good reflection. Now, I know like the, the, the batting average isn't totally there. What's he batting? I think 260-ish right now. But he, of course, is making very, very hard, hard contact. You want to talk about exit velocity. For his career, he's been an 88.6-mile-per-hour exit velocity. That's how hard he hits the ball. It's not that great. It's not very impressive, which we've seen his career up to 2020 has not been impressive. He's been basically about league average, which as a third baseman, 
is not good, right? As I talked a few weeks ago, 33rd rated third baseman in baseball over the past two years. So he doesn't even crack his starting lineup in the top 30 teams in that case. But this year, his exit velocity has increased from 88.6 miles per hour to 93.4. And he's crushing breaking balls. So like to me, unless, un, unlike the Eric Gonzalez, where he was crushing, but you've seen some things that worried you, Call Moran kind of looks like a new player to me. And maybe he's finally tapping into what everyone thought he might be able to tap into, which I didn't know if it was really there either. We knew he had a low floor, but I thought the ceiling was very, very limited. And I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, a star now by any means. But in this small sample, which is still a small sample, everyone, this seems more legit than anything that Eric Gonzalez is doing. And I buy into Colin right now. And I don't know, man. Colin Moran, we had the Cabrian Hayes issue, you know, in waiting. But Colin Moran's putting up a fight right now. So, and like I'm saying, I'm, I'm, I'm buying into what Colin Moran is doing. There's not too many flaws <laughs> in what Colin Moran is doing right now. So it's nice to see. Um, but yes, so like I said, the Pirates, they've won three games in a row. Now seven wins on this, on this 2020 season. Still going nowhere, but it's nice to see some success. There's some excitement in the Berg. Um, they do play the White Sox in a few days, which let me warn you guys, do not pitch to Jose Abreu because he will hit a home run. And much like the rest of the team also. So I, I, I don't know how well this success is going to carry on into Chicago. But our next guest might give you some insight. He might give you a reason to bet on a certain team. So let's not wait anymore. Let's go ahead and bring him on. I want to introduce everyone to Andrew Filipponi. All right. And joining me, we do have Andrew Filipponi from 93.7 The Fan. Andrew, thank you for coming on. What's up? This is a new one for me to do a Zoom podcast. So I've, uh, I guess this is a new frontier for me. The technology of the moment is not something that I've gotten totally up to speed with Donardo. So <laughs> if I cut out or if something goes haywire here, I'm going to blame it on um, my iPhone, which is kind of spotty given where I am right now. So no, it's cool to be, uh, it's cool to be with you guys. We, um, I'm familiar with you guys, and I was excited when you reached out and uh, gave me an opportunity to come chat with you today. Well, well thanks. I, I really do appreciate it. And honestly, just chuck it to 2020. That's all I got to do. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, th this year has oh, been terrible as it is. So, I mean, you dropping off would be pretty much accurate. So Yeah, it would be par for the course, right? <laughs> right, right, right. But, yeah, no, again, I really do thank you for coming on. Yep. Uh, uh, as we've told our followers before, we're looking at maybe getting more guests onto the show. So why not start off with, you know, Pony? And with that being oh, said. Oh, this is the maiden voyage for you. This is it. This is it. You're oh, the guy, now man. I'm even more, now I'm even more honored. I, I saw that uh, one of ESPN's old anchors, Carrie Champion, had. She's doing one of these podcast things. And her first guest was LeBron. Um, so this is not maybe, uh, well, it's not on that level. But anyways, anytime you're the first <laughs> 
you're trying to make a good impression. You're trying to get people hooked in the idea that you would, you would come up with me as your, uh, as your original guest is very, very flattering as a matter of fact. Well, I appreciate this. So this is our LeBron show is what you're trying to say. All right. I'm good with that. But I hope it goes better than Brian Bullington as a first. Uh, <laughs> if we're talking about first picks or first people, the Pirates have had some problems with that. We'll probably get in. No, to no, some not of the at issues all. They have right now here. <laughs> There's nothing bad going with the Pirates. There's no negativity that's going to happen on this show about them at all. Uh, but actually, no, before we even get to the Pirates, I mean, I feel like I'd be doing this service again, you being the first one on yeah. for our listeners to have Andrew Filipponi on and not talk about the pony curse. I mean, <sighs> Seriously, Andrew, why are you so terrible at making a prediction? <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because I guess I can take this opportunity to plug myself and promote my ventures. Right. Um, the FanDuel Sportsbook has hired me to be a handicapping expert. So they have somehow, uh, combing through Twitter and social media, they have, I guess, apparently, uh, they have they have deemed my sports betting and my uh, game prognostic prognostication to be so good uh, that they now want to pay me for my pick. So you can read between the lines there. You can draw any conclusion you want uh, off of that. But there is one uh, major sports book, my opinion, the best sports book out there that for some reason, Donardo thinks that my predictions <laughs> are good enough and accurate enough where they are actually paying me yes. Uh, putting money into my bank account to make uh, picks for them this football season. So you can check my Twitter feed for uh, videos and things I'll be doing for them throughout the season. But it's funny the way the world works. Uh, I guess I, there's a phenomenon here where enough people seem to want to comment and go crazy when I make a prediction on things. And to your point, it seems like when I make a prediction on a Pittsburgh sports team to win, like the Pirates or the Steelers, Penguins, people seem to get angry about that. So um, no, I, I have noticed that. Well, and that's what draws me. I find this an art form. And the reason I say that, too, is because, you know, there's people that have sticks. And I don't look at it this way. And maybe you can clear that up, too, with us. But I almost feel like everything you've said yeah, it seems legit. You know, I mean, you could be out right. there and say that, hey, like the '96 Bulls are going to defeat the 2020 Kings, and I would say, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I'm going to put some money on it. But the 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 thing is, it would seem as if the Kings would win <laughs> by you saying that, and I don't know how. I mean, everything has seemed so legit. Would you say? But it just has never worked out. Well, at least for a spot there. A moment. Well, I, I I would yes, that's a big <laughs> one. I would say that. Um, I would say that the people who seem to get all up in arms or all hot and bothered or, or all jazzed up over the picks that I make, uh, maybe they should start making predictions of their own and figure out how good they are at it. I, I think people should probably put their money where their mouth is. Ooh, I like the uh, challenge. People get, up, people get upset that I don't shoot 100% on these things, and I shouldn't. If I did, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing this job. I'd be, I'd be living off of my predictions. I'd be betting on them legally. And I would be making a lot of money off them. Uh, there's a reason why uh, even the best at, 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 at sports handicapping get it right like 55 to 60% of the time. It is not easy, as I have found out. And uh, maybe some of your listeners have come to the same realization. But I do what I can. I'm paid to observe and give my opinions on things. And 
for whatever reason, uh, people seem to think when I go out on a limb, uh, I'm usually wrong. Now, if, if, hey, if somebody out there is actually tracking these picks and has like an official record for me on picks, that would impress me. Um, but I, I wouldn't put yeah, a past I, I have, an account on Twitter right now to, to have that. I have made some memorable, horrible uh, predictions, and I know that because people constantly remind me of them. <laughs> well, like I said, it was definitely for a time that it, I, I think you just had like this terrible three week run. And so <laughs> <laughs> to lead that, I want to say it was maybe like late 2018 because. Wow. Okay. And, and you know, if, if you know anything about us, so we like to play around and, and, and tease some people about some things, but we played a little, you know, a little bit lately. But anyways, that led us to actually creating a t-shirt, which I know you are aware of. The, I the am aware of it says, my wife, my wife bought one. Um, my sister bought one. And so it was clever enough or funny enough where most of my family members got a kick out of it and uh, helped you guys make some money, which I was happy to do. Uh, if you can't, <laughs> if you can't laugh at yourself in this business, then, you know, I, I don't, maybe people choose to do it that way and they're successful at it and that's fine. Um, but I've got, I like to think I've got a good sense of humor. I don't really mind if people rip me. I, I think I've got um, at least, I'm not going to, you know, rank it, but I think I've got relatively thick skin when compared to other people in this industry. So no, I think it's, I think it's cool. Like if people, if there's like this, um, you know, grassroots phenomenon of, uh, of, of pirates fans who are just like livid every time I make a prediction for them to win. Uh, I think that that's uh, I think that that's cool. Yeah. I find it real funny too. And I, I swear, like when I see things that are like really egregious or I want things to happen, you know, that's what I'm going to be tweet at you. I'm like, all right, pony, do your thing. Because you know, <laughs> like people wanted me to say that the Penguins weren't going to win the draft, right? Exactly, they, and I did it. I, I I acquiesced to that because I actually did not think that they were going to win the lottery, and that ended up being one of the predictions I was right about. Now I had a eighty-five percent chance, or whatever it was, of being right, but whatever, I'll still count it as a win. There you go. There you go. So, and I guess I was going to lead me to now that you know this phenomenon, do you play into it? I mean, are you? I know, obviously, your FanDuel stuff, you're going to be, like, legit and sincere. But, I mean, do, do you play into it a little bit now with, with everyone? I, uh, like, I lay it on thick, absolutely. Like, I don't, this is, this is creative art. I mean, what we, which is, you know, funny I maybe put it that way because it makes it sound like maybe it's more important than it is. But I like performing and I like having fun with people. And so if you're not, engaging with your audience or with your followers that way then you're not doing it right like if of course like i recognize and pick up on the fact that for whatever reason again i don't know exactly why but people really get a kick out of i get a reaction whenever i make a prediction before a steelers game or an important pirates game or i just like tonight i'm betting on the pirates to win because i'm a complete idiot and there's oh, a lot man. of value in it and it's probably oh, hold on hold on one second them. one second hold on let me <laughs> let me go on a fan duel right now <laughs> so i yeah i mean like you, you lean into things like you if you're in our business which is you know sports talk sports opinion based uh industry like commentary i think you have to be aware of what your audience gets a, gets a rush from or gets a kick out of and what things kind of fall flat or don't get a lot of attention. So 
yeah, if you're not mindful of that, if you're ignoring your followers, if you're ignoring your audience, then you need to kind of, uh, I think, reassess things. There you go. No, I like that. And I'm all about like, uh, you can't take yourself too serious. I mean, I'm all about, right. you can say whatever you want about me, basically, you know, more power <laughs> to you. I'm, I'm a fun of funny. Um, but all right. So let's maybe transition this into a little bit of power to say, sure. you know, you're betting on them tonight. So, <laughs> all right. But with that being said, uh, you know, the season's young. It's only a 60 game season as it is. Anyways, it's been a crazy year as we've mentioned, but I mean, there are some things that we can evaluate and discuss on top of the pirates that you're seeing, uh, you know, with the time that Charrington and, uh, Shelton has been there so far, their tenure, you know, what is your take? What is your make on them so far? This new regime? Yeah. Um, well, I do want to give them the benefit of the doubt because and I want to give them, I don't want to, I don't want to be overly critical right now of them because I have to acknowledge that they inherited a mess. Like they didn't come here and get an opportunity to manage in general manage a team that was coming off in 88 or 90 win season. They inherited a team that was the worst team in baseball over the second half of last year. And Oh, by the way, they have by, by all like the consensus of uh, those that evaluate minor league systems and prospects, they have, even if you're being maybe charitable, they have a below average minor league system. They don't have a team that's flush with young talent. And as we've seen by their record this year, they have little to no talent at the major league level. So that has to shape and color my opinions of both of those guys. Now, the thing that, irritates me from my end like for what I do is I you know give me copy give me something to talk about give me give me quotes give me sound bites give me things that mm -hmm. I can share with my audience and my listeners and we can you know debate and have conversations about like I don't think Ben Charrington gives us any of that I think he's pretty dull I think he's pretty bland and plays it unbelievably close to the vest, which is fine. I don't think that's the barometer and measuring stick for whether a general manager is good or bad at his job. I do think that he sounds a lot like Neil Huntington, just in some of the terminology he uses and the way he talks. And sometimes that irks me just because I have flashbacks to the way <laughs> sure. things ended with Neil. Right. Um, you know, my, my take on Shelton was, I had reached a point where Clint Hurdle had his expiration date had come and gone and I was just about ready for anybody else. And so it would be now uh, probably it would be wrong of me to criticize Shelton too much when I was just dying for someone that wasn't Clint Hurdle to be the pirates manager. So I don't think Shelton in 20 games, if I'm, if you're asking me uh, and I think you kind of are to like grade what he's doing like in game strategy wise, I don't, he doesn't blow me away. I can't really point to any, they've only won four. I can't really point to any games that I've seen. And I've been like, wow, like he made a bullpen decision or he made a lineup decision or he did something within this game to help them win. Right. Um, but I want to be fair to him and I want to give him a chance. So like, I'm not, I'm not down in the dumps and thinking that the manager is like part of the problem and someone that is going to be an impediment or an obstacle to get them to where 
they need to go. So I think there's a lot of wait and see in what I'm telling you right now. Like I'm trying my best in a reactionary industry to not be too much of that and to have some patience, but it also tests your patience when you're seeing a team play this brand and this style of baseball, which is honestly about as bad as I've ever seen from a Pirates team. I mean, that's not high. And I saw you tweet that last night. You know, like you said, even the Kutch days, at least they had Andrew McCutcheon. (laughs) Yeah. And I think in 2010, and that was the date that I think gets bandied about here, at least in my lifetime, I'm not old enough to remember, you know, any of those eighties Pirates coming out of the drug trials, like before bonds and that whole era of baseball took off like the teams that predated and set up that three-year playoff run but you know even during the 20 years of losing I can't point to a team that was so woeful and so inept and so barren of of good players you you can look at those teams and find Giles or find Jason Day or you go to 2004, which was a team that almost lost 90 games, and Oliver Perez had an unreal season. He struck out over 200 guys and had an ERA in the twos. Like, there are bright spots on those teams. And, and not just bright spots, like guys that just had one-hit wonder seasons, but younger players that you thought would be part of eventually winning teams. And I don't even see that on this team right now. 2010 had Neil Walker and Andrew McCutcheon and Pedro Alvarez and those guys ended up forming at least from an everyday player standpoint the nucleus of back-to-back-to-back playoff teams and man I have a hard time believing that anybody on this 28-man roster will be on the Pirates the next time they finish with a winning record yeah honestly that's that's a very fair analogy and way of putting it because I especially the way this offseason went you know we saw they didn't really trade too many pieces you know it wasn't a full teardown they traded Marte and they didn't really add anything so it, to me it seemed like it was a wait and see let's see what we have here and then make our decision but like you're saying the way this team's playing I, I almost felt like this team could be competitive in like two years you know keeping some players but I don't know man like you're saying it, it almost feels like it's going to be a full teardown after this year well we know we know what doesn't work we know the the, the blunder of the last regime was that they were one foot in competing and they were one foot in rebuilding. Right. And they tried to have it both ways. And they would even, Donardo at a trade deadline, they would make a move for the rest of that season. <laughs> and then they would turn around and make a trade that was for like two or three years down the road. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's so hard in, in Major League Baseball to tr- – to try to be, to, to not have a clear identity. Like, what are you? Are you a contender? Are you a team that is thinking that you need to, you know, play and develop guys for a date down the road? And, you know, what I didn't get about Neil Huntington with that was he had job security. He had the contract that would have afforded him a chance after 2016, let's say. Maybe 2015, you win 98 games. 2016, you do the bridge year thing. And then when that didn't work, honestly, I think he just should have committed to a rebuild then because it didn't look like he was going to get the support from the very top to, you know, sign a bunch of free agents and add a bunch of payroll and, 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 and run it back with that kind of new look team. So you've got to learn from your mistakes. And, and 
there are people that are still left over from the last regime who I think should have told Ben Charrington this offseason, like, hey, look, you don't have to wait around and see what you have and evaluate the players and then trade them. Like, if you're comfortable trading Chris Archer now or you're comfortable trading Adam Frazier now, by all means, do it and expedite and accelerate uh, this process. The Marte move was a sign that they were going to do that, but in my opinion, they should have done a lot more. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'll go back on the Neil thing. I, I, to a degree, I actually appreciated that approach because <clears throat> to me, it seemed like it wasn't being done. Uh, it was a small market team. Let's try to be as competitive as possible. But I think what really did it in was when uh, like that Archer deal. I mean, at that point in time, you've lost a lot of prospects. You know, you lost a lot of the future. So if you're trading that Archer deal, like you're saying, at that point, you're all in. Or you don't make that deal. And, you know, you do rebuild, like you said, because there are some pieces there that you're going to build around, you know, and we could possibly be talking about a competitive team right now had that deal not been made. Um, well, but, I think just to follow up on that, I mm -hmm. think one of the one of the other major uh, glaring uh, failures of, of the last regime, too, is think about this. They make the Archer trade. And one of the reasons why I think. Of course, there was the emotional response of Pirates fans like, oh, my God, we like added a big name at the trade deadline. <laughs> sure, right. We did that, which was a breath of fresh air, and it was hard not to get caught up in that and give the Pirates credit and praise for that. But the other thing that they have to, t they have to own, and this is why those guys, I think, ultimately lost their job, is that Glass now gets put into a trade like that, and it's like, okay, well, he was never going to – he was never going to prosper here. He he had he had he looked like he was going to have a mental breakdown every time he was on the mound. He didn't ever really seem like he was comfortable or confident. And okay, like we'll trade him because now he's somebody else's problem. And that to me is also on the last regime. Like you had this pitcher that had untold potential, and you could never figure out a way to use him. And that's why they were so probably comfortable in including him in that trade and not thinking twice about it. Yeah, no, that, that's fair. And that's something we've talked about as well. And, and I'm, I'm so with you. I mean, it's Glassnow wasn't performing. I get that. And a lot of people were very okay with it happening because, like you said, that building excuse, he was never going to succeed here. But then you read an article and you hear stuff when you later was in Tampa and you hear how, well, he, they're essentially telling me the same thing here as they were in Pittsburgh. And like you said, I mean, to me, that's on the regime as well, because why can't you relate that? Like, why can't you relate to your guys? Why can't you lead them to success? You know, where's the disconnect between what you're trying to tell these people and them doing it? So you know, I'm with you on that, too. Well, I think they just ended up having, as it's turned out, it sounds like they had a very antiquated, old-fashioned pitching philosophy. And the problem with baseball is is that the game is constantly evolving. And if you aren't up on the latest trends as an organization, if you just fall back on what helped you win 94 games in 2013, that's not necessarily going to help. It's probably not going to work in 2018 or 2019. That's how much the game can change in a relatively short amount of time. And what I think ended up happening here was they, from, from the top down, preach to their pitchers, hey, two-seam fastball, sinkers, let's get ground ball out, let's be very efficient, 
let's get outs. How many times do we hear Clint Hurdle say after a game, well, we had, you know, 13 outs were three pitches or less. It yep. was like they were so bogged down by that. And my problem with that is it's, it should never be one size fits all with pitchers. Garrett Cole and Jeff Locke are not the same. So if you want to make, if you want to turn, I don't know, Vance Worley into a ground ball specialist or whatever, fine. But you shouldn't make Garrett Cole pitch that way. And I think that ended up being ultimately their undoing that as it turned out, asking Charlie Morton to get ground balls was dumb. They should have let him be the guy that he was when they when they traded him from when they got him from the Braves. And that was, oh, this guy's got amazing stuff. He's got electric stuff. You used to hear that all the time about Charlie Morton. And, um, yeah, uh, we, we've seen what he has done. He, the man closed out a World Series uh, for the Astros and has gone on to have great success since. So, you're, now you've got me. See, this is what happened. <laughs> oh, I, get so, I get really fired up. But, I mean, that about, goes to what you I just said, too, about thing. learning. You know, and that's what I said. Like, I, I actually appreciated that approach they had. But at the same time, you know, we talked about the Archer deal, but at the same time, too, like, they didn't learn. Like, they were stubborn. You know, they, they yeah. didn't learn from the mistakes and change. They kept at it. And like you said, that, that costed people their jobs. And that's why they're not here. So, you know, I, I fully understand that aspect of that. Um, I know, as you mentioned, you're, uh, you're heading to the game right now to, to watch the Pirates. But I did want to finish this up, too, as well. Because sure. I know you go back. Please. You are a Mets fan. You grew up. I have a really good friend down here with me who's also a Mets fan, and I feel like the three of us could share a lot of frustrations between <laughs> all these ownerships. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let me ask you something. So sure. the Wilpons seem to be moving out. They're selling. Sounds as if there's a leader involved, A-Rod and J-Lo, among all the, the rest of the NFL, it sounds like, that's going to take ownership into the Mets, possibly. What is your thought well, on having A-Rod and J-Lo as an owner? Well, I think that'll just be a disaster uh, because I don't see them. That, that to me is a relationship where you think, you know, they're, they're, they're dating, uh, they're renting, they're not buying is how I look at it. I just don't see them 30 years from now. I don't see them together. And the reason why, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not one of these people that watches E! Entertainment television and reality shows, but. Oh, don't you know, lie, Pony. When you bring, when you no, I'm really not. I'm I'm really not. When you, when you when it when you when you bring these types of tabloidy stories to like my front door, well now they affect me, and now I have an opinion on them. And I watched. We watched this. We watched a very ugly separation for years ruin the Dodgers when yes. McCourt, who owned the team. Uh, separated from his wife and that just completely for like a three or four year period, they bottomed out and they were one of the laughing stocks of baseball. And eventually he sold it. And now they make the playoffs every year and, and go to the world series every other year. Um, and so I don't want to experience that again. I already have an owner who got swindled by Bernie Madoff and they make excuses for why they can't always spend like other big market teams. And then when they do spend, it's on guys who just absolutely like the, like the Bay signing was a disaster and uh, Cespedes now, like, you know, they, they're not smart either. That's the problem. So right. as a Mets fan, 
Every 15 years, it feels like they do something that keeps you coming back. They won a World Series in 86, and then they went to the World Series in 2000, and then they went to the World Series in 2015. You know, they do just enough to kind of tease you and toy with you. And uh, it would be, it would, it would honestly be very Mets for Alex Rodriguez, who was an absolute pariah in baseball, where he was suspended, the longest steroid suspension in baseball history. He was persona non grata. He lied to everybody. Now, all of a sudden, and I don't really get it because I guess he's halfway decent at TV. I mean, I don't even think he's that good, but because he's halfway decent at TV, I guess now everybody likes Alex Rodriguez and he's back in the good graces of baseball. And now they're prepared to sell a team to him. I mean, can you, it would be like, it'd be like Barry Bonds coming back in and like buying the San Francisco Giants. Like the idea of somebody who was so widely despised by Major League Baseball and even fans for a long time. The fact that he's, A, coming back to buy a team, it's my team, and he's bringing his celebrity. Are they married or is it a fiancé? What is the J-Lo thing? I don't even know. Are they married? Uh, you is know, she, that's a really good question. I don't even know. I actually don't know. If you, You're putting me on the spot. Know. I don't know. We, we know they're an item, but I don't know if it's like, ring on the finger item yet if it is congratulations to them and i'm sure they had a very expensive honeymoon and everything else but yeah i'm not exactly optimistic or excited that alex rodriguez is going to come in on his white horse and uh turn my new york mets around so so then let me ask you that as well ended this this way then so would you rather have a rod and j-lo or bob nutting i mean they're two polarizing figures one right way behind you know sits sits in west virginia Pretty much says, here, you guys handle the Pirates. I own you. Or do you want J-Lo and A-Rod that's going to come in and probably, I mean, I will grant this. They're probably going to have some amazing giveaways. Uh, I mean, entertainment. Entertainment maybe. value. Right? Like, the thing about this, too, is I feel like there should have been a difference. Like, Jeter's group should be the one taking over the Mets, and A-Rod and J-Lo should be taking over the Marlins. Wow, that would be an interesting one. Jeter, who absolutely tormented the Mets. <laughs> And, uh, you know, drove me crazy because uh, in those late 90s and early 2000s, the Mets were actually good. Right. Uh, but, I mean, Jeter I like was... what Jeter is doing with the Marlins. And he seems very focused, you know, low-key, I'm going to handle this. Where, like, I feel like the J-Lo and A-Rod is like, well, let's have a big party, which just fits and vibes with Miami. You know, and they, they're yeah. not really successful. They haven't been craving success where the Mets have. You know, I feel like well, it would be a perfect swap of, of them two. Yeah, well, um. You know, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of you get what you pay for. And I do think that the Pirates showed it for three years from 13 to 15. And, you know, we've seen the A's have a run of success. We've seen what Tampa Bay has been able to do. Kansas City went to back-to-back World Series and won one. The Indians were in the World Series a few years ago and lost game seven to the Cubs. You know, it's not impossible for small market teams to win. It's that they have very small windows usually, and there, there seems to be a ceiling for most of them on how much they can win. The Twins haven't won a playoff series since, I think, 2006. Um, you know, the A's seem to not be able to get out of the first round. Um, you know, the, the, the Rays went to one World Series in 2007. So, you know, that to me, that's one of the things that makes it, you know, frustrating as a fan of a team like the Pirates, and I am, is that, you, it, it's, I would never want to sit down and play, you know, I'm going to buy into a poker tournament and one guy 
or six guys at the table start with $200 each and I start with 20. Like I, I just, I, I, I probably won't win. They have a much better chance than me. It changes the whole dynamic of the game when the rules are not the same for everybody. So I don't like that about baseball. I don't think it's only the Pirates problem, but I think they feel kind of the wrath of that maybe more than other teams have. And, you know, with the Mets, like I would hope that Alex Rodriguez being worth a half a billion dollars and the fact uh, that his wife has made a lot of money and that he seems like he wants to win, that they would try to win. But I'm just the, the, the self-loathing, pessimistic Mets fan in me <laughs> thinks that it would blow up spectacularly in their face and uh, everybody would kind of laugh and guffaw at them for trusting Jennifer Lopez and Alex Rodriguez to run their baseball team. Well, I'm for it. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> of course you are, because you're not invested in them. And it's, and it's fun and it's interesting, but it's not, it, it's not for me when, like, I, I, all I want is to see them win one World Series in my lifetime. And I know, right? Uh, we've, had, we've had two real swings at it, and that's, that's really about it. So... All right, Pony. Well, I'll let you go. Uh, just one, real quick before you do, this will be released on Sunday. Um, okay. So the next Pirates game will be actually Tuesday in Chicago against the White Sox. So for our listeners. You want a pick for that game? What is the pick, Pony? My pick is to take the White Sox on the run line, minus one and a half. I have no idea who the starting pitchers are yet, but just the first thing that pops into my head is for that game, take the White Sox. All so right. do with that whatever you do with that what you will. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Pony. I appreciate you, you coming on. Uh, maybe we'll talk to you soon. All right. Cool. All right. Thanks a lot.